to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. There's always one that knows they need to be thankful. There's always one. Uh, as I was preparing uh, for this sermon, I came across a little funny story. Uh, there was a CEO interviewing someone on their uh, way to replace him, and he said, um, <clears throat> so uh, we hired you a month ago, and you started off in the mailroom, and after two weeks, we promoted you to the sales department, and after another week, we made you a sales manager, and three days ago, we made you vice chairman, and now I'm ready to retire, and uh, this has been a long, hard month, and I want to make you the CEO after I retire. And the man said, thanks. And he said, that's all you got to say to me is thanks? He said, all right then. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> all right. <laughs> he was thanking him for his rocket promotion. And I that's thought about awesome. that because... Uh, Sometimes we, we as a people can have a bit of entitlement to ourselves. Um, it's it's, it's kind of hard uh, sometimes to remember to be thankful about things. And it's kind of hard to remember that you didn't get anywhere by yourself. I have a friend of mine that I am constantly at odds with because he likes to say that nobody helped him do anything. And he's done all right for himself. He's got a nice car, a nice job, a good family that's healthy, but I'm positive he didn't get there by himself. Uh, he holds a lot of anger because his parents died, and I can understand that anger, but I still don't believe you got anywhere by yourself. Somebody had to feed and clothe you when you were a baby. Somebody had to protect you from the elements when you were on your way coming up. Somebody had to teach you how to speak and how to read. Somebody had to be able to keep a roof over your head. And when you got to school, somebody had to have the knowledge to teach you what it was you needed to know. 
And then when you got your job after you got out of school, somebody had to have prepared the job for you. Somebody had to have started the business. Somebody had to have interviewed you. Somebody had to have looked at you and said, I want to hire you. You don't do any of that by yourself. So I understand the value of being a self-made person, but I also understand that most self-made people aren't really self-made. And so we all ought to be thankful. Uh, We ought to be thankful because we didn't wake ourselves up this morning. We own nothing. We don't even own our own breath. If you don't believe you don't own your own breath, try to hold it and see what happens. Nothing we own is on our own. We are designed as a people to be in community with each other and working together and loving one another. And so in the text, we have an example of someone being thankful. We have, uh, starts off with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. I like the gospel according to Luke because he always talks about Jerusalem. There's a reason the author of the gospel according to Luke likes to bring in Jerusalem because he knows at the end that's where one of the most important things happens. It's Jerusalem. So when he reorders certain things, when you compare them to other gospels, he puts certain things in different orders like the temptation of Jesus. He puts Jerusalem last because he finds Jerusalem very important. And all the way back in chapter 9, Jesus started this trip to Jerusalem and it's all the way in chapter 17 and he's still on his way. Jerusalem is important to Luke. And so we have this miracle that's being performed and And there are circumstances going on, and there's a request that's being made. You have these ten men with leprosy. Leprosy at the time was not, uh, they used the term leprosy back then for a whole lot of things. So it could have been sores or ulcers or sometimes skin rashes. They called a lot of things leprosy, so it was pretty common. But these people, these ten men, had leprosy. And, and, And I like that they, they mentioned that they had leprosy. Uh, number one, because it doesn't say how they got it. They just got it. And they deal with that, and that's a big old $5 word they've been teaching me in seminary. Theodicy. Why does bad things happen to people? If there's this loving God out here, why is God causing all of this sickness and destruction in the world? And why, why are unarmed men in the street getting shot? And why is it that they will allow someone who openly brags about practically committing a sexual assault, saying that they will let you do anything? Why would they allow some, why would God allow somebody like that to run for president? I heard you. I heard you loud and clear. Why do bad things happen? Why do we have sick people? Why do we have hungry people? Why do we have homeless people? I, I would like to take this moment to say that I am glad that I am Methodist at this moment. Nothing against any other denomination, but I am glad that I am Methodist at this moment because Methodists truly believe in free will. We are all empowered to make our own decisions. The, the, the steps are ordered, but the path is played out, but we are allowed to make our own decisions. And so just like we have free will, we are not running on this straight path that's already been determined. 
And because we're, running on, we're not running on this straight path that has already been determined, I can say with conviction that God did not cause the evil that is going on. Amen, amen. amen. That is the individual actions of people, and some people just do wrong. Uh-huh. Some people just don't know any better. Some people just do those things, and we tend to blame it on God when we ought not to. Amen. God is not causing us to be sick. God is sitting on the side of us, mm. hoping we get uh, supporting us when we want to get well. God is grieving with us when we lose our loved ones. God is not causing the trouble. God is here to support you while you go through it. Mm-hmm. But we tend to have this thought that if something is going wrong, God must have caused it. Even the disciples thought like that. Uh, if you go to the gospel according to nine, when John, in the uh, gospel according to uh, John chapter nine, when the disciples saw the blind man, they asked Jesus, who sinned? this man or his parents because they truly assumed that whatever you did brought God brought that kind of punishment back onto you but God is not the author of confusion yes God is big and God is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient so he knows all he sees all and he's everywhere and he can do whatever he wants but just because you do or are capable of doing whatever you want does not mean you do everything you want We are all capable of doing and saying a bunch of different things, but we don't necessarily do it all the time. And so if we don't do everything that we think, why would we think that God would do everything that we think? Just because God is capable of doing something doesn't mean he does it. And just because something happened doesn't mean God caused it. Some of the problems that we have going on in our life are of our own doing. And so it doesn't say how they got the leprosy, but it just says that they had it. And then I like that the text says when he was headed to the village, 10 men who had leprosy. 10 men who had leprosy. The text calls them men with leprosy, not lepers. Men with leprosy leprosy, not lepers. I was taking a class last fall, and and, and Dr. Dobbs Wiggins was teaching this class called Mental Health Skills for the Pastor, and uh, she's a wonderful psychiatrist in the Dallas area, and she was there to try to teach us a little bit about psychology and psychiatry because we're not psychologists as pastors. People will come to us for counseling, but we are not psychologists. People come to us for counseling, and there's a whole culture behind it about going to the pastor. And yes, the pastor is there to provide some sort of support, but there's a stigma against mental health services that we need to remove. See, no amens today. That's all right. I'm going to still preach it. There is a stigma against mental health that we need to remove. It's okay to see a counselor. It's okay to see a psychologist. It's okay to see a psychiatrist. Amen. Lights. Preach it. Candle. Bless God. Podium. Amen. That's all right. But that's we we have a stigma against that. And one of the things that Dr. Dobbs Wiggins talked about in this mental health skills for the pastor is that you do not call people by their diagnosis. You don't say that person is schizophrenic. You say they have schizophrenia. They are not their condition and we are not our condition. 
We may have sinned, but we are not the sinner. So we have to be careful with our language, and I see that in the text where it says that the men had leprosy. So when these bad things go on, we need to be able to not call people by their diagnosis. We wouldn't want anybody calling us by our diagnosis. There goes that liar. We have to be careful in how we talk to people. And so these men approached, and they kept their distance, but they still approached. And we have this circumstance, and in response to the circumstance, the men cry. Let the church say cry. Cry. The men with leprosy call out to Jesus for help, and they keep their distance. See, when people had leprosy during those times, medical science was not as advanced as as far. So what people would do during those times is if you had an issue Nine times out of ten, what they did is make you stay away from everybody else because they didn't want you spreading it. They didn't have hand sanitizer and and sterilized tools and these kind of things. And so they would put you off by yourself while you got over it so that way it would not spread. And so whenever anybody had leprosy during that time, when they were walking around, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Let everybody know that they were not clean. They could eventually become clean, but while they were not clean, they had to tell everybody that they were unclean so that they didn't spread any further. And so that's why the text says that they kept their distance because they understood that and they were operating along the, 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 op, the proper way of that time. And so they could be yelling that and they got, they got their distance, but they got close enough to let Jesus hear them. The text says that they, they kept their distance but they did not let their distance defeat their determination. All right, all right. They knew that they had something, that Jesus had something for them, and they were not going to be deterred. They were not going to let anybody stop them. They knew that this man named Jesus could help them, could fix them, right. could work it out. So they made their way to Jesus. They could have been a country mile away, but that did not stop them right, from right. crying out to the Christ. Uh, There may come a time where you can't figure out something for your own self. There may come a time where you don't know where your help is going to come from. Well, allow me to tell you that when you have these kind of problems, you need to cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus for your marriage. Cry out to Jesus for your school. Cry out to Jesus for your work. Cry out to Jesus for your husband. Cry out to Jesus. Uh All right, all right. He'll make it. The 10 men wanted somebody qualified to handle their situation, brothers and sisters. And that is what Jesus was doing at that moment. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. He'll hear our fainted cry and he'll answer by and by. Feel a little prayer wheel turning. Know the wheel is burning. Just a little talk with Jesus will make it all right. That's why some of us get overly affected by our troubles as is. We hold it in. We think we can fix it ourselves. We don't want to talk to anyone. And I get that. You don't want to talk to anyone because you don't want your business out in the street. You don't want your dirty laundry aired. You don't want everybody to know what kind of problems you got going on. But allow me to introduce you to somebody who will not capture your your conversation and spread it to the world. Jesus You may not want to talk to a counselor, but at least start talking to the wonderful counselor. 
you may not have a friend that can support you, but allow me to introduce you to somebody who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus. He's big enough to handle your doubts. He's big enough to handle your fears. He's big enough to handle your worries. He's big enough to take everything on for you. Jesus can take it on. And so the ten men with leprosy went to Jesus. They cried out. They didn't just stay set in their situation. They didn't just say, oh, I'll figure it out myself. They went to somebody that could fix it. They had their circumstance. And so they cried out about their circumstance. And Jesus saw them. Praise God for that. When nobody else is looking, Jesus is still looking. So that's both for the good and the bad. When you're doing something you ain't supposed to be doing, Jesus is looking. But when you need somebody to help you, when your back is against the wall, when you don't know where your help is coming from, Mm -hmm. Jesus can still see you. And so in response to the cry, Mm -hmm. there was a command. Let the church say command. Command. Jesus told them to present themselves to the priest. Um, there's a whole process that they talk about in Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus as well, I believe, where when someone had leprosy, they had to go to the priest in order to get themselves cleansed. And there was a ritual that the priest would do. Even if you had been cleansed of the leprosy, there was still a ritual that needed to be followed. Mm-hmm. And so they told them, basically, to go to God's house. Yeah, all right. Uh, Jesus told them to go to God's house. The Bible says, fail not to assemble thyselves. Uh, The Bible says, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We need to be in community. Matter of fact, when you are going through, you want to be around those who love and cherish and support you. You don't want to be by yourself. That is a trick of the enemy. Because when you break them off by themselves, it's easier to to attack a problem. Mm And so when you are away from those people, you can fall further away from God. When it looks like I'm just trying to figure it out for myself, no, that is when you need to be the closest. Isolation is the worst way to go through a problem. So he told them to go to the house of the God. Go to the house of God. And, and I like it as well because anytime Jesus, or God for that matter, performed a miracle, mm-hmm. there were some instructions to be followed. Yeah. Uh, the priest had the cleansing ritual for leprosy, but the text says as they went, their healing came. It says as they went. Yeah, yeah. So the healing came from their obedience. Obedience, amen. Uh, Their faith and their obedience. Mm -hmm. Whenever God wants to make a move in the text, people have instructions to follow. Um, When Jesus turned water into wine, He told the people to go get some containers filled with water. When uh, Jesus fed the multitude, he asked for the little boys two fish and five loaves of bread. Uh, Jesus told the paralytic to get up and walk. There was another paralytic that they ripped off the roof in order to drop him in. Uh There are things that need to be done. The woman with the issue of blood had to get to Jesus and touch the garment. Even in the Old Testament, Elijah, when he was feeding the widow who had just lost her husband and didn't know where, he told her to go get the jars, as many empty jars as you could, and he had them all filled up with oil so that she could sell, pay off her husband's debt, and feed her family. There are instructions to be followed. When God blessed Abraham, he told Abram in 12.1 of Genesis to get out of your country. Get out of your country and get out of your father's house and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll Mm -hmm. curse those who curse you. 
there are instructions to be followed. Now, God and Jesus don't need anybody to sit as vice chair or vice captain to them when they get it done. Mm-hmm. The miracles are, uh, are there so that you can get some skin in the game. Yeah. All right. Are you going to sit around and treat God like some sort of divine cosmic vending machine? Mm. I push a button and get my blessing out. Treat him like some sort of tray at Golden Corral. I'm going to walk by and get a little of this and a little of that and a little of this. No, no, no. I got to see that you're doing some work on your own. So we don't look at God as something where we just push a button and get whatever we want. If you look at God as some button-pushing vending machine, you're going to be greatly disappointed. All right, all right. If you look at God like that, I guarantee as you grow older, you'll grow away from God. Because one day you'll push the button and not get what you want. So if there's a miracle to be performed, there are instructions to be followed. And so we go from the command to the actual cleansing. Their leprosy disappears en route. While they are yet doing what God told them to do, the answer to their prayer comes. While they are yet doing what they are supposed to be doing, the answer to the prayer comes. All right, all right. You know, when you sit around waiting on a blessing, it's best to be doing something as well. While you are expecting somebody to move in your life, it's always best to be doing something as well. I had a coach that said, I don't care what you do, as long as you do it at 100 miles an hour. I I can respect that playing football because you have to have your head on a swivel. If you're not doing something, if you're not moving around on the field, you're going to end up on somebody else's highlight reel, getting knocked over. So you want to be working. I'm reminded of David when he was about to be anointed king. He was out in the field working. Boaz saw Ruth because she was out working. Working. I've heard the adage that they say, pray as if it depended on God, but work as if it depended on yourself. It's much better to be working. Now, there will become some, there'll come some times where you need to be still and know that God is God. But if you are looking for God to help you out in certain situations, sometimes it's good to get off your own hind parts and get in the game. Don't just be a spectator expecting everybody to do something for you. I've noticed something when I see people stuck on the side of the road. The people who are stuck on the side of the road with their hood popped up, waiting for somebody to help them. More people just zoom by. Sound like a personal problem. Maybe they're waiting on uh, the AAA. Maybe they're waiting on somebody to pick them up. Whenever there's somebody sitting on the side of the road, and especially if they're in the middle of the street, that makes more people mad than anything else. But when the car breaks down and the person who's in the car gets out the car and starts trying to push it to some place, more people are willing to get out, the, get out of their own cars and help push along would help this person push than they would if the car was just sitting on the side of the road and just sitting there. When you are willing to help yourself, Mm -hmm. 
people are more willing to help you. And so he told them to go to the priest. And while they were on the way to the priest, they were healed. And one decided to come back. There was one who returned, and he returned so that he might give testimony to God the Father and give thanks to God the Son. And what he finds is Jesus sad because Jesus healed 10 people, but only one came back. I can relate to that just a little bit. There are plenty of things that I do in life, and I'm pretty sure there are things that we all do in life where we think we will get more thanks than what we actually get. When we think that there'll be more people to help, more people to notice what was said and done than actually is done. But we ought to be able to do things not for our own glory, but for the glory of God and keep pressing forward and keep going on. And so the Savior expresses the regret over the nine who did not return, but this one who did return. He tells him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And it's interesting because this is a Samaritan. We have, in this day and age, equated a Samaritan, a good Samaritan, based on the parable of the good Samaritan, to be something that's great. It wasn't a great thing necessarily to be called a Samaritan during these times. Uh, the Samaritans and the Hebrew people did not get along. They were not friendly. They were not on great terms. I said at the beginning of the sermon that Jesus started this trip to Jerusalem in chapter 9. Well, if you go towards the end of chapter 9, you'll see around that time Jesus was looking for a village to rest in for a little while. And he came to a Samaritan village, and they turned him away. Told him, you can't sleep here, homeboy. You better keep moving. All right. And James and John, hot around the collar, looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven on these people, these Samaritans? And Jesus rebuked them. This is in Luke 9. Go ahead and read it when you get home. Don't just take my word for it. It's in Luke 9. These same group of people that had a problem with Hebrews in general, who had a problem with the people of God. Here it was, a Samaritan was willing to come back and say thank you. Hmm. And so he got sidetracked, Jesus did, by a few things, and he is still on his way to Jerusalem. But this one, who was a Samaritan, he could have very easily said, uh, you, you, and you will get healed, but you did not. You, Samaritan... Hmm. They just kicked me out their village a couple of weeks ago. I don't want nothing to do with you, but he did not. Why? Because God's salvation is available for all. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter who your people are. God's salvation is available for all. You may be a foreigner in human eyes, but you are a child of God in God's eyes. And that is why he said thank you for life, health, and strength. Thank you. I got to thank God for everything that he's done for me. 
because I would be an outsider. I wasn't born to the right family. I wasn't born through the lineage of Jesus. But yet still, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died on the cross for me. So I got to say thank you. Lord, I can't thank you enough, but I really am grateful for waking me up this morning. I'm grateful for clothes on my back. Thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you for life, health and strength. Thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising up three days later. Thank you with all power in your hands. Thank you. And that's not all that I thank him for. I thank him because he's coming back again. And whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church open.